Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Paradigm 132 Podcast, and I am your humble and gracious host, Rashad Horn. And on today's episode, I want to talk about a subject that was discussed on Bamani Jones's new show entitled Game Theory that airs on HBO. Now, before I get to that, I just want to say this, like back in 2015, um, if any of you've been um, listening um, since I first started this podcast, you may have heard me speak about Bamani Jones in the past. And Bamani Jones was one of the first people that I saw back in 2015 that made me really want to elevate myself intellectually in terms of reading more and and understanding a lot of other things that are going on aside from the things that I'm normally or at that time normally occupied myself, which which for the most part was just sports, you know, not too concerned about political issues, not too concerned about social issues, not even really too concerned about um, financial um, issues. So Money Jones was a real catalyst in that because if you listen to him, you're not biased. If you if you go in with a, like I said, unbiased mindset, you can really listen to him and really say, you know, I might not agree with him all the time, but he lays information out in its plainest form, but it's plain to the to the to the point that you understand that what he's saying is very powerful. It's not he's not mincing words or anything like that. He's just concise. He's not overly explaining something to you. He gets straight to the point. Right. So I just wanted to say that a uh, quick little tidbit. So the subject was, as they're dubbing it, the HBCU resurgence which is basically on the backs, which is on the back of college football, which has been highlighted at the grandest stage, at least that's the way that they um, show it, by Jackson State's Deion Sanders. And um, I kind of have a soft spot for Jackson State because my mother, uh, she's a Jackson State alum. She graduated um, from Jackson State. So kind of like I'm just, (laughs) I like to consider myself an alum. Uh, in many respects, uh, the Jackson State, even though I never attended the school, but, you know, I, I've always kind of kept an eye on, on Jackson State um, just because of that particular aspect, right? So, um, unless you've been living in a rock or you're just not interested in sports in any shape, form, or fashion, uh, Deion Sanders became the head coach at Jackson State University and When the hire was initially made, it was met with a lot of um, backlash in many aspects. Um, Many people felt that Deion Sanders was not qualified to have a head coaching job. Um, Kind of one of those scenarios where it's kind of like you don't have enough experience. And in order to get a position like that, you need to go through the ringer. We don't really care that you are a Hall of Fame player. You are a top five top ten depending on what type of list you're looking at nfl player of all time right just just that level of talent we don't care about that you need to start as a position coach might even need to start as a graduate assistant then make your way to a position coach for a few years um at a lower level school then we hire you at a bigger level school you learn that then you potentially can become a coordinator um and do that and then probably after 
I'll say 10 years, maybe even 15 years, um, you can get a head coaching position at what is equivalent to what he has now. Um, and so that's kind of the way that the thinking went. So, but in just two short years, uh, Deion Sanders has made a huge impression, not just in the hearts and minds and souls of uh, HBCU alumni who are passionate about sports, but it's also caught the eye of larger institutes, especially after the recent signing day period in which he not got he, he not only got one, but he got two highly coveted athletes, one being the actual, depending on the recruiting site you looked at, the number one or number two rated high school player in the entire country um, by the name of Travis Hunter. Um, also went and got a highly coveted wide receiver um, from the St. Louis area named Kevin Coleman um, to go along with some transfer transfers that he got from the Power 5 level. So, the interesting thing about Bomani, again, is like I said, I, I, I love listening to him, right? I don't always agree with him, but I understand the point and the premise that he's making. And so his point and premise um, in speaking about this, and I don't want to um, <laughs> not deliver it the way that, that he put it, but in a nutshell... He basically said that athletics from an HBCU standpoint is not going to propel HBCUs to the level that many people feel that HBCUs should get to. Uh, he spoke about we've seen this. We've seen this before. We've seen HBCUs have the absolute most talent. Right. And this was prior to integration in many uh, aspects back in the 60s and, you know, even the early 70s, right? And obviously before then, where a lot of Hall of Fame players came from HBCUs. And he even went so far back into history, he spoke about, and I forgot what the particular position that this particular person held, and I can't remember the person's name either, but the person had a a job with the NCAA. And so... Essentially, what he was able to do in that particular position that he had was to usurp the athletes away from black colleges because um, obviously we have the Brown versus Board of Education. And by the 60s, it was in full swing where schools were fully integrated. And now you have and then obviously, depending on what side, depending on what piece of history you want to believe, if you want to believe the widespread piece of history, and far as far as college athletics being integrated, which was the USC versus Alabama game, where USC had a few black players on their team, and Alabama was still a fully white team, which probably if you told somebody uh, that was, I'll say, 18 years old, they probably would say, huh, what, Alabama all white? Can't be, you know, because Alabama is just – Every position, main position right now is, is, is black from the quarterback, which, you know, historically has been a position that was um, supposed to be a white player, right, due to the acumen that it took to play that particular position. But not to get off on a tangent, 
That particular game took place in USC with a handful of black players that they had and one black player in in particular, which was a black fullback, ran, as they say, rough shot over the Alabama Crimson Tide. And it set off a precedent that Bear Bryant, which until Nick Saban came along and his run that he has at the University of Alabama, was regarded as the greatest college football coach of all time. And it was that particular game that had him in the mindset to say, you know what? I need to get some black players because my objective here is to win. Now, that's the big story. However, doing a little bit more research and I'm not even, you know what? I'm not even going to lie. I'm not going to say I did some research. I stumbled upon some information that there was a game that happened two years prior to the big USC-Alabama game. I believe it was two years, right? And I'm sorry if I'm not as concise as I should be. But it was a game that happened between, I believe, FAMU and another school in which FAMU, obviously a team full of black players, beat that all-white school. And that is what set the original precedent, right? So it, again, depends on what side that you want to be on, if, if you want to adhere to the bigger story of the USC versus Alabama, because obviously those are two historically um, great colleges, you know, multitude of NFL players that um, walked through those particular halls and, and, you know, went on to play in the NFL. Whether you want to listen to that story or if you want to believe the smaller situation where we had a full-blown HBCU school that took it to an all-white school and, you know, set that particular precedent off, right? So anyway, so Bermani Jones, and these were these are his words verbatim. We've seen this before, and even with the best college players, HBCUs were still broke, right? And he went on to say that the argument could be made that maybe okay, well, since there's a newfound renowned interest in college football, that there could potentially be more money that comes in from sports, right? But he said that HBCU should continue with the model that they've been working with. And that particular model is, as he referred to it, as the Ivy League model, which is we're not trying to be, you know, a institute that is putting sports ahead ahead of academics. We're not trying to do that. Because while again if you're a somewhat of a sports event, you're looking and and there there's historical reference to say um Harvard and, and Yale, you know, have like, you know, like one like national championships. And this was like early when you know colleges were first, you know, uh or as they referred to higher um Institutes of higher institutes of learning, or however that particular saying goes, they were good in sports. You know, they played these particular schools, but somewhere they didn't want to be a sports oriented thing and they put academics first. Now, Harvard, last I checked, has the largest endowment of the largest endowment of any college in the world. And the largest endowment of a HBCU is Howard. Now, what's interesting about that is 
even with that, we recently saw the situation with the Howard students talking about leaky um, drains, talking about, you know, they had to protest. They were living in tents on campus because the living conditions were so were just so, so bad. And it and it really it really, you know, put a black eye, I feel like on a, a HBCU that again. And I'm, I'm not an HBCU alum. Um, like I say, I feel like I'm an honorary J Jackson State alum, but I want to watch my words closely when I say this, right? Because I don't want to offend anyone that attended another HBCU. I'm just speaking from what I feel like has been a general consent based again on the sources that I cite, right? And this particular statement is Howard was supposed to be or is supposed to be the HBCU. It is supposed to be the Harvard. It is supposed to be the Yale. It's supposed to be the MIT. It is supposed to be that university in reference to the other HBCUs, right? And again, like I said, we, we know about Spelman. We know about the Morehouses, um, the Jackson States. We know about the Bethune-Cookmans, the, you know, um, the, the other bevy of HBCUs. But again, from my sources, like this is what Howard was supposed to be. So when what is deemed to be the best HBCU, the best from an academic thing, from having the largest endowment for it to be put on front street, in my opinion. And looking like that. I think they put a big black eye on it. But I also think that with the rise of Jackson State under the leadership of Deion Sanders and even to take another step with the females basketball team, um, giving LSU a PWI, predominantly white institute, giving it all they wanted and more in a basketball game. I feel like that that has become a bigger story than what ended up transpiring at Howard. Again, it just depends on where your interest lies, right? So, to get back on the Bamani Jones um, situation, I agree and I disagree with his statement, right? Um, I do feel like that, yes, academics um, should play a major role at HBCUs, and he broke it down in, in such a way, and then he had his mother come on, on the show. She's an economics um, professor or was an economics professor at HBCU. They didn't disclose what HBCU um, it was, but he asked her he asked her a question. He asked her, you know, what is um, unique about the HBCU experience as it pertains to the curriculum? And so basically HBCUs basically teach two curriculums. They teach the traditional curriculum that you're supposed to teach, which is the white curriculum. And then you teach another curriculum, which that curriculum is supposed to be. Um, and this is just the understanding that I got that, hey, we have to understand that we have to be the best of the best. And we need to make sure that we're doing things that not that don't put us in a position that we are running to white institutions or white places and feeling like we're less than when we are equal and in some aspects or maybe even many aspects better or greater than. So you're teaching us. So 
uh, a curriculum that teaches the value and the worth of yourself. Right. So. So I agree. Um, Academics should not be placed to the side um, because, as he said, one in three black professionals graduate from an HBCU. Right. They graduate from there. So it's so it's very vital. It's very important that the academic um, side of things does not get deterred. Right. And so he said the biggest issue with HBCUs is funding. Right. And so one of the things and um, I've heard my aunt say this, Uh, my aunt um, graduated from Alcorn uh, University, graduated, I believe, second in her class, maybe even first in her class. Right. And so she flat out, you know, said it because we were having a discussion one day because I believe this was some years back. Um, I believe Haley Barber, and this was in the state of Mississippi. Haley Barber was proposing that due to funding issues that they wanted to basically take, I believe, Mississippi Valley and Alcorn and Jackson State and combine them and make them one just one big, you know, one big institute. And. There was a lot of backlash. Um, needless to say, not to go through the entire ringer about this, it didn't happen. So all three institutes are still able to function as individuals. Right. And so the thing that she said back then was that our biggest issue is, is that we do not give money back to the school. That is our issue. We do not give money back to the school. And so what that issue does. And again, this is just me learning about these particular different things, because like I say, I pick subjects that I'm interested in. And that's why you get statistics saying that because people, because this is what you'll hear. Um, Hey, black kids need to go to HBCUs. Right. But what ends up happening where HBCUs lose just the general student is the tuition price. It's cheaper to attend Ole Miss in Mississippi State and Southern Miss than it is to attend the black universities. The reason being is that the black universe, the white universities have the endowment and the endowment money allows for them to issue out scholarships, which helps lower the cost. So you hear many stories or, you know, just depending on, you know, where you get information from that black students graduate from HBCUs with more debt per pupil, basically, than students that attend predominantly white institutes, right? And that goes back to funding issue, right? So one of the sayings, especially if you're in the black community, is like you hear like, well, all money ain't good money, right? All money ain't good money. So I feel like one of the, the points that the money was hitting on is that, hey, just say you go out, just say we go all out in, in, in sports, right? Let's just say we go all out in, right? Is it going to pay off in the end? Is what HBCUs started off as, which was black people feeling that, hey, we need to have institutes that are going to educate our children from our experiences, Right. They're going to educate our we're going to educate our own children and we're going to educate them from the experiences that they're going to experience once they leave these halls. But they're going to be the best prepared. They're going to be the best equipped and they're going to they're going to attack this world, not feeling less than not feeling like even though 
I'm on a campus. I don't I feel less than which that's one of the things that um, you hear. Some publications and say they publish articles that say that, you know, black students going to um, certain colleges um, like your Ivy League schools and they feeling out of place. Academic wise, they are at least. On par with them. But as far as a lifestyle and understanding, they stick out like a sore thumb, right? Whereas if they go to the HBCU, they'll blend right in because they come from similar backgrounds and they are they understand the things that they're focused that they're faced with, right? So anyway, so you get a huge influx of college football money, right? Because I believe um, Jackson State Spring Game is going to be televised on ESPN this year, right? Big. It's a big, that's a big thing. They're going to be predominantly white institutes that are not going to have their games televised whatsoever. And here we go with the HBCU school. And so money's going to come in from that. But is all money good money? So is are we sacrificing the academics for athletic achievement? Because as Bamani said, the last thing we need is more football players, but he said a particular position, but by and large, he was saying, we don't need that. That's the last thing we need. We got a multitude of those guys, right? We need more professionals, which I agree, right? And so that's the part that, you know, that I I agree with. And, and in essence, that the model shouldn't change, shouldn't have to change. You shouldn't have to compromise the model to get to the point that you want to get to. However, what do we know about models? Right? What, what do we know about models? And I'm not talking about um, IG models. We're not talking about Tower Banks type models. What do we What do we know about models? Right? Let's 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 think about models in reference to products. Right? So say you got a, a laptop. Let's take like a, a MacBook or something, right? Um, the first MacBook, you know, that's considered a model, right? If you look on the back of something, they'll have model, right? The first MacBook is a dinosaur compared to the newest MacBook, right? So it's the same basic premise. It's a it's a laptop, right? So it's a laptop. Right. But it has improved. Tremendously, it has more functions. It does what you need it to do, plus more without sacrificing again what it needs to do. So that's how I look at this model. No one said that you can that you can't have high rolling black professionals who make Great grades, average AC, average a- ACT score of 25 or 27, right? No one says you can't have that. But then also feel they athletic team or teams that not only can compete, but also defeat their power white counterparts. Nothing, nothing, nothing says that you can't have both of those. Right. There's nothing that said that the first MacBook, which probably didn't, which I know didn't have a front facing camera. 
Nothing says that, hey, I can't still download Microsoft Word while also having a front facing camera with applications on it, such as Zoom or Skype or being able to, you know, like I say, video chat with all of that without compromising the integrity of the computer, of the laptop. No one said I no one said that I had to compromise anything. I'm gonna pay a little bit more for it, obviously, but I'm not compromising it, right? And it's the model, which is just the 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 product itself, which is a laptop, the model stays the same. The design basically is the same. The functions of it change, but the basis of it is still the same. So to just in case I, I confuse you or tongue tied you there, like I said, you can have high achieving black professionals occupy the same campus as guys who guys and, and, and girls or, or men and women that excel tremendously at at athletics. And what we're talking about is something that is 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 a perfect or as close to perfect um, system that you can have. Right. And so going back to what my aunt said, blacks do not give back to HBCUs. And some of those issues are because of the fact of if you have more student loan debt than your white counterpart, that's less money that you do have to give back. And some individuals just choose not to give back at all. Right. Because it's almost like it's a it's a foreign concept um, in many aspects to say, well, I need to give back. Right. And so then you compound it with other issues, other issues that that are that we that are placed out there, which those particular issues are that black people can ha- occupy the same jobs as white people and not get paid the same amount of money. So that in that of itself is another knock. So I'm already graduating with more debt. Then I'm going to a job and I'm making less than my white counterpart, which again, those particular things are subjective and you really need to delve into um, some of those things and not saying that those things are not occurring. But again, I I want to be critical and just putting that out there. I, I, I want to make sure that <laughs> that um, everything is even across the board. Right. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes those those are issues that, you know, occur. So you got those particular things right there. Right. And then also you have the other thing where even though. You have black individuals that go to these particular schools and and I compare it just like from athletics. Right. And this is a this is a this this is a I like this subject where NFL teams or NBA teams and, and such, they prefer to draft or to get the player that played at the predominantly white institute because they say the level of competition was better. So the same thing applies to a person that graduates from HBCU and a person that graduates from a predominantly white institute. So let's just take, for instance, let's take Howard again. And again, like I said, (laughs) this is just what I heard. 
This is this. I'm, I'm not saying this is fact, but it's just what I heard. But if you take a Howard graduate who graduated, is it magnum cum laude? I believe magnum cum laude is the highest distinction. If you take that person that graduated magnum cum laude at Howard, and then he's applying or she is applying for a position at a company. And their competition is a person that graduated the highest of his class from the University of Harvard. They're going to say that the Harvard graduate is better because of the level of competition that it took to get there. Right. That's what it took. So, Rashad, what what does all that mean? What does that mean? This is what this means. Studies have shown. And again, this goes this goes back into my all money and good money, right? All money and good money. But but sometimes you have to take not good money. Sometimes I feel in order to get back to the good money or get to the legit money. Kind of like I told my I tell my wife this all the time. I said anytime I watch a drug dealer documentary, I learn so much stuff. And it's not because of the the glitz and the glamour. It's a lot of life lessons in there, right? So this is a perfect life lesson. A lot of these guys and even women who are who are less the 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 light the spotlight is 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 not solely on them as much. They made a lot of dirty money. They made a lot of money that wasn't good money. But they took that good, they took that bad money, they took that dirty money, they cleaned it up. Not money laundering, but they cleaned it up. Real estate, you know, small businesses, stuff like that. They cleaned it up, made it legit. So they took that. Not so good money, which was bad money, dirty money. They turned it into clean money. So in the in the in the aspect of the HBCUs, studies have come out that have shown that good to great athletic programs increase enrollment. And by an increasing enrollment, what ends up happening is it forces universities to change some of their criteria in ref in 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 respect. It's, 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 Especially depending on the amount of students that they that they that they can take in, right? It forces them to change their requirements. Where you may have had a university that says, "Well, hey, if you got a 17 on your ACT, um, you know what I mean, 2.2, 2.4 GPA coming out of high school, hey, you can get in." But now you're changing it, so now it's like, "Well, we need a 23 now." And we need a two, six, two, seven GPA to get in now, right? So, going back to what Bamani said in the model of the HBCU, the HBCU model. Okay, well, this is what this is what you this is what you could potentially get. Now you're potentially getting some of the black students that felt like that they're going to encounter or stand a better chance. Um, being tried in reference to academics at a predominantly white institute. But now you have HBCUs that are increasing their entry-level requirements. You're opening the door for smarter students, right? And you're opening the door as well for a better level of athlete 
And what that does is, and also it, it, it does open the door for um, other ethnicities to come to HBCUs um, with minority-based scholarships. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, ama- it's amazing how that how that thing how it twisted right on his head like a top how affirmative action went from being for black people to just minority but i mean it wasn't necessarily for black people because it it didn't it, it didn't specifically say black people it just said minorities right so we know that there's like what a hundred minority groups now so but anyway you have a you have other ethnicities getting minority-based scholarships to attend hbcus right that would have Probably gone to predominantly white institutes where the academic, the strength, the strenuous academic requirements were greater than HBCUs. So now you have HBCUs not only competing athletically, but now you have them competing academically, which again is what you wanted, right? Because the ultimate, the ultimate thing of this is, and I feel like the, the goal, going back to what the goal of HBCUs was supposed to be, which was we're supposed to make sure that when you leave this institute, you are just as good or better than your white counterpart. This is what we're supposed to guarantee you. So just like anything else, you got to have competition. You got to have competition. You have to have competition in the classroom. And on the field. So, while I agree with um, Bomani in the aspect that HBCU should not sacrifice the academic um, mindset and and sacrifice it to become like the white schools, which not saying, um, well, yeah, I guess we can say it. The, the white schools that, by and large, most people feel like are good in football, they don't necessarily look at them and say that, hey, these are institutes that are, are and, and, and individuals can go anywhere, right? But just from a collective, right? They're not looking at this. Like, like, like say, for instance, if you understand college football, right? Like the SEC. SEC, the most dominant um, conference, but in that conference you have the University of Vanderbilt. University of Vanderbilt has academic requirements like the University of Duke, has academic requirements like the University of Stanford, and depending on who you speak to, and if you watch First Take, not, yeah, not First Take, but Undisputed with Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless states. It's not supposed to be the Harvard of the South. He says Harvard is the Vanderbilt of the North, right? So even in a competitive, super, super duper competitive football conference, Vanderbilt is probably year over year the, the from a performance standpoint on the football field. They're probably, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the worst, right? They're the worst. They're not sacrificing their academic integrity for sports. Right. But again, I'll say this. Black people have been able to overcome and to achieve great things under very, very strenuous and tough circumstances. 
And I've, I look at it and say, well, what other group of people could make that work? Well, you're graduating the best professionals in the world, as well as preparing the best athletes in the world. What other group of people could probably do that? We've done it before. Why can't we do it again? So that's where looking at it from that particular that particular aspect, we have um, other students come in on these minority-based scholarships. Some of them may come from affluent backgrounds, right? And those affluent backgrounds come with affluent checks. And those affluent checks can drastically change what's going on if those affluent checks are also brought in with alumni who feel the need that say, hey, we can donate more now because the cost of tuition at these schools are going down because they have more money in them now. Because I believe a couple of years ago was in Morehouse, I believe, was on the verge of losing their accreditation because of people that were in positions of power were doing some funny stuff with the money. Right? And so it kind of gets to that point when most people say um, in terms of government benefits, they say a lot of times the government benefits do not make it to the individuals that truly, truly need the benefits. And it's true because you're not giving it directly to the recipients who need it. What you're doing is you're creating jobs for people, buffers, right? Buffers. And in that money that is supposed to be earmarked for those people, that money also is salaries for individuals. And then they get to decipher and divvy up and divvy out the money that's supposed to be given. So, again, that was another black eye. Uh, for HBCUs. But again, unless you've been paying attention to it, you know, you, you don't necessarily talk about that because, again, the HBCU resurgence by way of athletics is covering up a lot of dirt or has covered up dirt. All right. So. I feel like it can be done. I think it can be done. But it has to be a Deion Sanders level educator that steps in, that hit a yin to his yang or a yang to his yin, yin. And we need these type of personalities at all of these institutes. Or you just have a couple that are test subjects. Um so to speak, to see how this goes. And we can take the model and tweak it and make it better. All right. We looked at the Model A uh, manufactured by Henry Ford on the first cars ever. The model itself, which I look at the, the item, the car, um, the main function of it, which was to go forward and go backwards, hasn't changed. 
But what has changed is the amount of things that are around it, the amount of features that are given to it now. Not the Model A, but just cars in general. Right? The, the, the theory, the idea of a car, the theory, the idea of HBCU saying, hey, we're supposed to train the best professionals. And the professional class is supposed to be a shining light to the rest of black people because the, because this is what y'all are supposed to be. Y'all are the, y'all are the, the, the quote-unquote talented tent. And in many regards, y'all have dropped the ball. Right? You've dropped the ball. And sometimes things need to be shaken up. You know? A person can hide from you. But sometimes if you shake them, I ain't got no choice but to show up. So I feel like Deion Sanders is, is, is being that. He, he, he's shaking shaking things up, right? I believe he, he came out recently um, and spoke about all of the, the donations and things that, that came in from um, Fortune 500 companies that were supposed to be earmarked to go to HBCUs. And Deion Sanders simply asked, where the money at? We ain't seen nothing new around here. Where's it? And sometimes you need that. You know, and it's a borrowed quote from Donald Trump. It's time to drain the swamp. Right? And so, again, like I said, I agree with, with Bomani, you know, in many in many regards. But also, I think the, 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 the point has to be made that DJ Emmy touched on this, too. And he was talking about his daughter was, you know, they went to go visit some HBCUs. He said she wanted to major in, in real estate and HBCUs didn't have that. And I've heard people say this in the past before that HBCUs are not trying to adapt. They're not trying to adapt. So, again, going back to that car, imagine a Ford never adapted from the Model A. Imagine. You may still have some people that want to purchase the Model A, just like you have some students that want to go to HBCUs because of the historical um, prestige of it. And like Bomani said, it was the one thing that black people did that white people could look at and say, you know what, they did that themselves. Obviously, of course, we know some of the uh, history of HBCUs. I believe like I believe it was Spelman, like John D. Rockefeller's one of uh, his wife, um, she built Spelman, so that, like that was her brainchild and stuff like this. So we we understand the history, but 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 not to mitigate any of this, it was still something that black people uh, spearheaded, right? But you'll still have people want that Model A, right? It's behind, you know, but from a nostalgia purpose you'll have that but are you getting the best are you getting the best are you updating that model and in many regards in many aspects i feel that and again this is just from sources that that i've listened to that individuals that are in charge of a lot of these hbcu universities they are not in the business or want to be in the business of making HBCUs better. 
right? They're not, they don't want to be in that business. They want the, oh, woe is me mindset. And again, it's not, <laughs> I'm not saying this is a one size fits all type of deal. But again, it seems to be the general consensus. Right? So, that's what you have. And it was in the, in the, in it was shown out recently with more with the Morehouse situation with the the threat of losing accreditation as well as the Howard situation with the living conditions of Howard students. Which again when you look at that to say again that's that's the model A. You can't take a model A forward, right, in the condition that it was when it first came up that similar line and take it from Mississippi to Chicago and not think that man a radiator hose might burst. Man, there's no traction on this thing. Just just a whole bunch of things that were just left behind. And we're talking about this was in 2021. That these children showed these conditions. And this is the university that has the largest endowment. Smack dab in Washington, D.C. And historical preference was supposed to be the HBCU that allowed for mixed children to attend with all black children. That's, that's, that's what it was supposed to be. That's what Howard was supposed to be. And somebody came in, students, Says, you know what? All this high talking and all this that this is this. Let's show you how. Let 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 us show y'all how we really living over here. And it's a it's an embarrassment. So like I said, you might as well take this dirty football money <laughs> for a couple of years. Try to get these academic standards up as far as changing the curriculum and stuff like this, and making HBCUs more attractive. Because the studies show that students want to go where the action is happening at as far as good football places, good sports locations. Clean that money up and perfect that model. Perfect it. All right. Perfect that model. All right. Anyway. Go, go listen to that particular episode of Game Theory. That, that wasn't the entirety of the episode. He talks about um, a multitude of other different topics. But that was the topic that ended the show. So even or, or maybe it may be on YouTube. Someone may have recorded on YouTube or whatever like that. So just, but just go check that out. Right? But anyway, that's another episode of the Paradigm 132 podcast. Please like, subscribe. Leave a review. Be back to you again next week. Peace.